Welcome back to Library Media Chatter, a monthly podcast that is happy to report crime fiction author Lawrence Block is still alive (laughs) and would probably appreciate our audience sending him a valentine. Yeah, doubtless. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Uh, I am Dan Wright, Library Media Specialist at Oakville and Melville High Schools. And with me as always, Greg Baum. Hi. I'm just so proud of you for getting Library Media Specialist out on the first try, no yeah. retakes. Yeah, I am the library media specialist, one of the library media specialists at Rockwood Summit High School. Yeah, I felt really good because I was yeah. every time I edit, I hear myself go, ooh, I didn't mean to say that. <laughs> and I just keep talking anyway. Yeah. Oh. And Lawrence Block, if you remember back from last yes. week when Greg pronounced him dead, <laughs> seems like Dr. Bomb is not that kind of doctor. <laughs> Thank thank goodness. I can't imagine. Although I would like to be able to prescribe things. That would be. Yeah. Well, you prescribe literature. Yeah. Right. As the the cure for what ails you. Uh Um, I wonder, I was after, after listening to the last episode uh, while editing, I went and I looked up to see if he was in fact uh, deceased as you had predicted he must have been. I feel like you're <laughs> overstating my case. I, no, you were very explicit in your <laughs> surety that he had passed. Um, <laughs> so I went on and looked it up and I've, I'd never heard of him until you talked about him. I have yeah. no familiarity with him, but I was pretty pleased to see that he was with us. Kind of yeah. a sigh of relief. Uh, <laughs> and I'm hoping that he didn't happen to know somebody that's a big fan Gosh. and like, Oh, you should tune in. It's, they're talking about you yeah. this week. I saw you yeah. tagged in their post. Yeah. And then he's like, what? I'm not <laughs> dead. What are they talking about? And he's just, Oh, I just climbed a mountain the other day and this guy's telling me I'm dead. That's the perfect setup for the, uh, for the Mark Twain though. You know, the rumors of my death have been yeah. greatly exaggerated. Isn't that something like yes. that? Yeah. Yes. On a podcast by two people who clearly didn't know anything about the guy. Other and than... we're too lazy to take two minutes while recording to look it up. No, I was not going to touch the keyboard in front yeah. of me for one no. second to no. figure that out. No, but happy to retract the statement <laughs> again. Uh, hope overstating. Larry, hope that old Larry Block sticks with us uh, for the future. I'm assuming we're close enough. We can call him Larry. Yeah, I think so. I think I heard there's word that he might be sponsoring library media chatter. Yeah, Ooh, might he bump Noah Wiley? Well. Yeah, I like to think of them as a classic one-two combo, you know? They do. I I understand that they've done some speaking engagements together. Yeah. So uh, it would really just fit nicely. And this is why you listen to this podcast. This, this. Bringing the heat today. Yeah. Uh, A perfect segue into our first segment. Greg, what Uh are you reading? What am I reading? I am reading Winter's Orbit. By Everina Maxwell. Is she alive? Do you want to predict that? Listen, no? listen Dan, I'm, I'm already I'm over- ask you this every time. I've overextended myself already. I can't, <laughs> I can't make that mistake again. Everina Maxwell may or may not be alive. It's impossible to say at this point. Either way, she's an angel. Yes, yeah, she's say an, that. She is an So this book, if you haven't seen it, um then uh, you probably will. I assume you will. It got a fair amount of press and buzz and starred reviews when it came out. It is not a YA book, but I think it would be a good fit for a school library collection. It is an LGBTQ plus space opera. 
it and so it is you know there is not a ton of there's not a ton of lgbtq sci-fi that's not the genre where that is like where those characters and those identities um show up the most frequently and so that's a plus for this book <clears throat> it's also probably equal parts romance and sci-fi so it I think it has a good appeal to a wider range of readers. It's not real hard sci-fi. Like you're only okay. going to enjoy it if you really like Morlocks and well phasers. You just lost half of our audience. And they I know. All love Morlocks. So I mean, so I in I think all of those are advantages to this book. It is very slow. I mean, okay. it's a long book, and there's a lot of pining and then feeling bad about pining. So. I'm not, I'm not going to say this is a Lawrence Block caliber recommendation for me, but. This does not get the memorial, the Lawrence Block memorial. No, it it does not. But it's a good read. It is, it's a good fit for a school library. And I think for kids looking to read about diverse characters in other genres than realistic, it would be a, you know, a good asset for your collection. So what about you, Dan? What are you reading? Um, I am reading William Shakespeare's The Clone Army Attacketh. Ah, so speaking of space operas. Yes, the quarto uh, version, I assume. Yes, yes. Uh, uh, his first folio. I oh, believe. of course. Of course. Um, so there's an author named Ian Dasher, who I may or may not have mentioned. I look back through our notes and I'm pretty positive I've not spent a segment talking about him. It doesn't mean that he hasn't come up in some way, shape, <laughs> or form. Uh, he writes... Shakespearean five act dramas adapted from other things. Okay. So probably his best known stuff is the Star Wars. He does he's done all nine of the kind of Skywalker saga Star Wars movies. Okay. As five act Shakespearean dramas written in iambic pentameter. Uh, it's described everything about it is set up like you're reading a Shakespeare play. He also did get the back to the future. <laughs> he did the taming of the clueless. Oh boy. He did. There's a mean girls one and I'm not remembering the title of that one. Uh, he's got a Frankenstein adaptation. Oh. He has an entire Avengers um infinity stone saga like all four avengers movies adapted into holy cow Uh, it is it's one of those things where when i first saw it i thought i don't know who this is for Mm -hmm. except for me (laughs) like (laughs) i know that i'm the audience for this and i cannot imagine another person who's going you know what i love doing is reading Shakespeare for kicks just on my own. <laughs> also at the same level of vigor, uh, Star Wars. Yeah. I like yeah. these two things. And then when he did the other ones, I'm like, back to the future. Are you kidding me? <laughs> uh, I'm going I'm to stop my talk in a minute, but there are two things I want to point out because they blow my mind they, okay. and, and blew my mind when I read them the first time and continue to as I do it. Okay. Uh, he puts in the Star Wars ones, he puts real thought into the meter with hmm. which certain characters speak. Oh, cool. So you think about uh, when you read Shakespeare 
most of the time it's iambic pentameter. Mm-hmm. But say you get the uh, mechanicals in like the tradesmen in uh, Midsummer, mm-hmm. that they very clearly do not, right? That right. some characters just speak in prose. Uh, when you get the the fairies in Midsummer, they speak in a different uh, meter mm-hmm. to kind of show what's going on with them. So Yoda, mm-hmm. who already kind of speaks in a weird word mm-hmm. order, Shakespearean, whatever, uh, speaks in haiku. Oh, wow. To kind of offset that. Okay. Um, and R2-D2 goes between two things. Uh-huh. When he is on stage with anybody else, he speaks in meet, beep, squeak, whatever. <laughs> yeah. Just makes noises, but only to fill iambic pentameter. Oh. So almost every time he speaks, he might get a full line, a full yeah. 10-syllable line, but at least one of his lines is finishing somebody else's line mm. that was maybe only four or five syllables. So then yeah. he meet beep squeaks his way through uh, to finish the line. But then he gets these long soliloquies <laughs> when nobody else is on stage <laughs> where he's like just hamming it up. Like he is chewing the scenery. Oh my uh, God. It's pretty incredible that he wow. put that thought into it. Wow. And the other one, and I don't know who else would care about this, but again, if you're listening to this, I don't understand you already. <laughs> so in the Back to the Future one, the scene where Marty McFly's band is auditioning to play at whatever. At the dance. Then, yes. But like not him playing at the dance at the right. beginning when he's in his. Time, oh, OK. Gotcha. Yes. Gotcha. Yeah. Not playing oh, with yeah. Marvin yes. Berry. Gotcha. Uh, cousin of Chuck. Right. Uh, when he's playing with his band in Chuck. 19. <laughs> well, then he says, Chuck, it's me. Mark. <laughs> Sorry, I'm going to I'll stop. Um, when he's playing with his band Holy auditioning, cow. there are three staff members that are judging and they interrupt him about, I don't know, 16 bars into their instrumental opening of The Power of Love by oh. Huey Lewis in the News. One of the teacher that interrupts him with a bullhorn is Huey Lewis. Oh. <laughs> in Get the Back to the Future, when that character goes to interrupt the audition, he gives a full page speech oh that gosh. is explaining kind of things about their band, but every single line uses a different title oh, of a Huey Lewis in the wow. News song or a line from it. Wow. I, and it's the pinnacle of reading that and going, you really know who your audience is. Wow. Because if you're not the audience for this, you'll read that and just go, well, that was weird. Why did he talk so much? Yeah. And I took pictures of it. I <laughs> sent it to people. I was like, you have to know that this exists. Oh my gosh. So Ian Dasher still with us. Still with uh, us. Still is, producing. Is, is Ian Dasher someone you would include in your collection? Yes, we actually at Melville have all of the Star Wars ones and a few of the other, like the Taming the Clueless and the Mean Girls one, mm-hmm. uh, and maybe get the Back to the Future. Mm-hmm. Um, they are not in high demand. Oh. As of yet, that hmm. may surprise you. <laughs> but uh, it's one of those things that I thought there will be an audience for it. They're, they're not super expensive books. Yeah. And when you get the right kid or kids that find mm-hmm. those books, mm-hmm. they're going to do what I did mm-hmm. and lose their minds. Yeah. That's awesome. So that's uh, really cool. Yeah. Ian Dasher. It's like D O E 
S C H E R, I think. It, mm. it does not look like Dasher. The classical spelling. Yes. The very, yeah, yeah that is the, <laughs> the Yugoslavian spelling, yeah. I believe. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, yeah, that's what I'm reading. Oh, that's cool. So, we both hit, uh, without realizing it, we both hit some space opera today. Yes. Uh, so that's yes. Exciting. Yes. <laughs> uh, and with that, <laughs> we're going to take a quick commercial break. This episode is brought to you by the Dewey Decimal number 572, which means it's time for the favorite game of people who check, maybe? Do we know our Dewey? I'm going to name books with call numbers that start 572, and Greg is going to guess what that section is all about. Greg, are you ready? I'm ready. All right, our first book, Genomics, A Revolution in Health and Disease Discovery, by Whitney Stewart and Hans C. Anderson, MD. I don't know that that's Hans Christian. It Anderson, is, of course it is. But I didn't know he was a doctor. So yeah. that's, you're learning something on every episode. <laughs> Guilty by a Hair, Real Life DNA Matches by Anna Prokus. And Glowing Genes, A Revolution in Biotechnology by Mark Zimmer. Greg, what is the theme of this section? Well, I feel like I'm going to learn another new word when I find out what the University of Illinois actually calls this or whoever sure. we're using. Yeah. Uh, but I'm going to say it is something to do with like genes and genetic engineering. Am I on the right track? I'll be honest. I thought so, too. I thought that oh, gene, it. it would be like. Genetics Stop. Edit this out. What's um, going on? Is but, this my first time not getting it? No, right. I, you Tell are absolutely right uh, in I every know. way, except the University of Illinois tells us it's biochemistry. Oh, I would so not they have just, gotten that. They went wider, I think. <laughs> we were going too specific. Because I would, I, I could have seen biotechnology. That was in one of the titles. Yeah. But I never would have guessed biochemistry. I am. Yeah, that's not my wheelhouse, unfortunately. <laughs> Shocking. I, I thought I most librarians. Well, as you said, we learn something every episode. Yes. Yeah, here we go. Uh, I was pretty pleased when I got this one and looked through what we yeah. had. The genomics one, um, I think it was a new book that came out within the last year or two. At a perfect timing uh, yeah. in what we're living in right now. The idea yeah. of like discovering disease and kind of how we, we deal yeah. with that. Yeah, this is interesting. You know, we did a nonfiction order, I think maybe last month. I don't know that we bought a lot of 500s because I was really focusing on areas where our average age was substantially higher than, sure. you know, it probably should have been. And I think, so this is interesting. Now I'm kind of trying to think about what I looked at in the 500s. I don't know. For loyal listeners, I may have an update next yeah. month. I mean, no promises, yeah. but I may. Oh, that's just... Now I'm yeah. on the edge of my seat. I know. I, I like wait to... a month to find out what you ordered in the 500s. Last yeah, time. I like to hook them. I like to hook yeah. them now when I can. Dewey's really going to appreciate that because that's bringing people <laughs> back for the next time for this segment. <laughs> so thank you to Dewey number 572 for sponsoring this episode. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Dewey. <laughs> Welcome back to Library Media Chatter. You're just in time for our favorite segment of the day. What are you doing? Uh, for this month's episode, Greg has been going through what we had talked about last month with the concern about kind of getting into those challenged book meetings and what does that look like? So he is going to update on how he's been spending his time as it relates to challenged books. Um, yeah, so I mean, 
we didn't have anything hammered out for what we were going to talk about in this section, except, you know, I have done quite a few committee meetings for the challenge materials in my school district. And Dan and I just thought it'd be helpful to kind of talk about some points that people who have not had one of these yet, um, but likely will, might want to know. Yeah, I, it is uh, to kind of let people behind the curtain that little yeah. bit. Greg and I spent what probably a half hour yeah. <laughs> before oh, yeah. we hit record. Yeah, with <clears throat> me asking him kind of how it's going because I haven't experienced yeah. it yet. Um, so I, we're not going to fully recreate that entire no. conversation because no. we don't need that long of an episode. No, but um, so you've done how many books now? I think how many so, meetings? I, so, uh, four meetings, and I okay. think. It, it's either six or seven books. I'm I'm drawing a blank right now, but we did multiple some of these meetings. And that's something to think about in your district is depending on your policy. I think in my district, the policy is that the committee has to meet within a relatively short window of time after the official challenge is filed. Ours is the same. <clears throat> and so like there's some logistical concerns with that, um, which has made us double up in some of these meetings to have more than one book discussed the other logistical concern that i'll just point out is um if you are if your district has a policy for including high school students on the high school material challenges that is more complicated than it seems because you have to get parent permission and well first you have to figure out what students might do it and then you have to get parent permission and then you have to get the kids to actually agree and then they have to read the book so that was another kind of logistical hurdle that we didn't um you know, that I, that I should say, I, I didn't anticipate, you know, when we actually got into this process. I don't know if we have that. I mm-hmm. hadn't considered that in ours. I should know. Uh, I will not leave you on the edge of your seat. I will not update you on Melville's policy on how that goes. Fair enough. But that's an interesting thing I hadn't yeah. considered. Um, you know, I think in, it sounds really good in theory. I'm not, I'm not sure that it actually is. Um. I don't know. I feel torn about it, I guess is all I sure. can say. Yeah. Well, I, I can... so you could see the the reason behind it mm-hmm. theoretically, but then the mm-hmm. other side where these kids all have a bunch of other things that they need to be doing. Yeah. So pulling them to do that and yeah. No, they have a bunch of other things that they should be doing. And I also feel like that puts a tremendous, uh, that puts them in the spotlight in a way yes. that I think is not always fair to them, even though... Um, these meetings are confidential and the names of the participants are in theory confidential. My experience has been that that is not how it plays out in practice. The people who have posed book challenges are actively and in some cases dishonestly obtaining that information, but they don't even have to do that. They can um, file the Freedom of Information Acts and get the list of participants. And that, whether, you know, it, I'm not sure how serious everyone would believe this is, but I don't know that it's fair to put kids in the spotlight or in the hot seat, I should say, for yeah. those decisions. So Yeah, oh, I can see that concern for yeah. sure. Um, what are they like when you've gone through them? What is <clears throat> yeah. the process during the meeting actually looked like for you? Yeah, so in ours, the format has been that um, the person who has posed the challenge gets to speak about their concerns. Um, I think... We've never had to cut anyone off, although I'm going to knock on wood and say that hope that that doesn't happen. But like, you know, I think that's important. They get to present kind of face to face their concerns and speak about what they're, you know, the book. Then that person has left 
because they are not a voting member of the committee. And um, at that point, the committee is somewhere between 12 and 15 people, parents, teachers, administrators, um, librarians. Everyone should have read the book by that point. And so the committee discusses the collection development considerations that went into adding that book into the library collection. So um, did it win awards? What were the reviews like? We've actually, we actually, for all of these books, have read uh, the reviews that were in like school library journal and book list, you know, as a group, just so everybody knows what reviewers said about this. Sure. Um, uh, we do take in, we do talk about, you know, did it have a bestseller status? Does the author have a history of successful books? So, you know, what state reading awards are they winning? Um, okay. So those, we cover those kind of collection development <clears throat> considerations. And then we also cover our library's collection development policy and our freedom of uh, intellectual freedom policy. And so okay. those are all kind of made clear to the committee. So they understand kind of what the board approved uh, policies and regulations are for library collections. And um, yeah. So after that, we talk about kind of what value we saw in the book. And then we talk about how that value weighs against um, the uh, objections or the concerns that the person posing the challenge raised. And then we, uh, we have not been voting. We have tried to reach a consensus without an official vote, which has worked for us so far. I wow. think that is helpful to not, because, because these are matters of record that can be, um, <clears throat> you know, not subpoenaed, but can be, sure. you know, demanded through the Freedom <laughs> of Information Act. I think that's helpful to avoid being able to point to specific people and say, you know, person A said yes, and person B said no. And so I'm going to, you know, dox this person, but I'm yeah. not going to do it to this person. Yeah. And I won't go into like what the decisions of these committee meetings have been. Cause I think, cause that's confidential until it's presented sure. to the board. But um, I will say that they have been very civil, you know, okay. and I think uh, that is incredibly encouraging. Yeah. It was not what I expected. And so I'm, you know, really glad about that. No, that's really good to know. Yeah. Um, I, when you were talking about the consensus kind of general consensus versus specifically voting. Yeah. Can I ask, and I don't know if there's an easy way to explain what does that look like in the meeting? Is it kind yeah. of like you, and yeah. you talk through people's objections and then just kind of, <clears throat> does anybody have any other reason why they might want to, does anybody want to specifically say like, how do you get to the sense that we're all on the same page? So when there have been concerns, so <clears throat> so the person who is running the meeting has asked, you know, what is our recommendation to the board going to be? Okay. Does anyone want to propose one? Okay. Someone on the committee might say, you know, the options that we've been considering are retain without restriction, retain with restriction, or remove. Okay. And so they would someone, whoever gets their mic on sure. first, because we've done these on Zoom, whoever gets their mic on first says what their recommendation is. And then the question is, does anyone disagree with that? So, I mean, there is a matter of people, people do continue to voice concerns after that. Sure. But there's never a like hands up, hands down. Okay. Yeah. So you can get, it's a feel of the room. <clears throat> it, yeah. Are, are the majority of us saying, 
mm-hmm. one thing versus the other without necessarily having to go, okay, now Greg, raise your yeah. hand if you feel right. like, okay. Yeah, exactly. Okay. That's interesting. Yeah. That wouldn't have crossed my mind as a, <laughs> no, it wasn't, you said that, yeah. that would not have crossed my mind as a thing to, to that that's what we would experience in yeah. those situations. Yeah. I think it's nice. I mean, as I said, they've been very civil and sometimes the conversations have actually been really um, uplifting and positive and um, hopeful, but I, I have been in a couple where the conversation was divided. I mean, people had serious concerns still. And I think that was a way to make it feel like a continued conversation instead okay. of the, kind of the more adversarial Oh, we've got two votes this way and two votes yes. this way. Now we got to swing this vote. You know, I mean, yeah. like then it becomes much more a game of numbers. And yeah. So, yeah, I like that. I appreciate it. It was not my idea, but I appreciated it. No, that's it. Uh, mm-hmm. Encouraging to hear that it has not been maybe as as fraught or right. as negative or whatever right. word you want to use there is as you might have gone in assuming. And I think a yeah, lot of us absolutely. would have gone in assuming. Yeah. Um, I hope that other people are having, I don't, <laughs> I don't necessarily want to categorize it as a, as an overtly positive experience, right, but having, right. uh, better experiences with it than they yeah. might've imagined going in. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. what, so tell us a little bit about your district and what has been going on. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, a- as of our recording this, we have not had any formal challenges, at least not that I'm aware of. Nobody mm-hmm. has, has come to me with anything saying, hey, we need to start moving on this. Uh, but our at our next board meeting, which will have been several board meetings ago by the time this <laughs> airs, right. Um, right. They, our department as, as a district is presenting uh, to the board about those things that you're talking about kind of discussing inside those meetings as far as what does our what are our policies why do we choose books how do we choose Mm -hmm. them who chooses them where does the money come from what do you do about this how can parents say like is there a way if i don't want my kid to read that book that they don't read it um can i is there a way that like parents can can do something individually for their child Um, do you do that in your district what do you do i have not had that yeah. Um, that has not been an experience for me yet in the time that I've been in the job. Um, there, I know in Destiny, there's a way to put notes on people and right. notes on books and whatever. So I imagine that is something that would happen. For well, a couple of things that we... On. So one thing that I'll say about the note, because you mentioned that, is when we have gotten emails expressing concern before a formal challenge has been filed, we yeah. have included that as part of our kind of boilerplate response to say, you know, any books you would like your child not to be able to check out, please let us know. We'll put a note on their file. So like we've included that as an option. Okay. As kind of a preemptive attempt to avoid a challenge. Okay. Um, No one has taken us up on that. Sure. Um, And I think that's to me, that suggests that the concern is not about their own child accessing this. Um, And I think, you know, anyone who has spent any time on Facebook, even on the periphery of these groups will know that many of these challenges are coming from people who have not even read the books. Yeah. They are coming from people who are plugged into networks that <laughs> send out this information about which books to challenge in your district, what language to use, yeah. what to avo- talking points to avoid so that you're not labeled as a bigot. I mean, it's really... Um, 
systematic in yeah. a frightening way. Um, and, and I think inauthentic and disingenuous. Um, so the other thing I was going to say that I just feel like I should point out is um, I'd mentioned earlier that we included as a potential solution in these challenge committee meetings, the possibility of retained with restriction. Yes. And I just feel like I should acknowledge that, you know, the, um, I think it's the ASL's interpretation of the library bill of rights or their kind of commentary on it points out that, you know, it is, it is a complicated situation in a school when we try to recognize parents' rights along with children's rights. And, but that retaining with restriction, meaning it's behind the counter or the kid needs a signed note to get it right. That those, that is not a recommended okay. um, solution, but our district has asked that we provide that as a possible solution. So we are offering it because our district has uh, requested that we offer it and yeah. not because it's a best practice. Do have they defined as the district defined what they mean by restriction or no. And okay. that's, that has been something that they have wanted to leave up to the committee. Okay. And so it could, it, and essentially from my understanding, it could be a book to book decision, what that okay. looks like. Are you <clears throat> assuming that at some point you have um, an area that's set off with like a beaded curtain? Yes. That have to walk through? Is that, has well, that come up as a possibility? I was making that joke with, with <laughs> this is a friend of both Dan and mine uh, with uh, Lindsay Gibbs. We were joking about that. But I think it, one of the things that I've tried to point out in committee meetings where people have seemed at least to consider that as a solution is to say, well, the reality is that the kids who need this book, because they are often books with LGBTQ content yes. or uh, social justice content, mm -hmm. the kids who need access to the book are often the ones who either cannot get their parents to sign these things or whose parents yeah. will not sign these things. Yeah. And so, I mean, it's kind of the same argument. We've had um, people tell us that they are not trying to ban books, that this book is still available on Amazon, that this book is still available in the public library. And again, the response is, you know, that's speaking from a place of incredible privilege. Yeah. For many kids, this is the only place where they regularly yep. have access to books. And so, I mean, those I think are talking points that people should be aware of before they go into these meetings. Yeah, no, that's good to know. I appreciate um, kind of filling us in on what this has been like for you. Yeah, um, no, sorry. I probably took longer than we wanted, but thank no, you for what? kind of chatting about this. This podcast having a segment <laughs> run long, I don't believe That's it. right, people. Drive around the block one more time. You're not done yet. We still have to talk about a book. Yeah. All right, so let's get into that. Let's talk about uh, our reader's nook for this month is Internment by Samira Ahmed, um, one of the Gateway nominees from this year. Yeah. A book that I'm just going to start by saying I really, really liked. Yeah. Uh, even before I, I know I usually give a summary before yeah. getting any kind of opinion. Uh, I really liked it. I thought it was well done. Yeah. Uh, I thought it was, it was an interesting subject. There were things that I was nervous as I was reading that like, Oh no, don't do that to yeah. these characters. And she didn't like, it was, right. it was, so, it was what right. I wanted uh, in the book. Yeah. So a brief summary from the publisher, a terrifying futuristic United States where Muslim Americans are forced into internment camps and 17-year-old Layla Amin must lead a revolution against complicit silence. Um, some of the language in that is a little bit overblown. I apologize mm -hmm. for reading that in my uh, movie trailer voice at the beginning. Um, I A lot of that is true. It is a terrifying, futuristic United States, except yes. 
uh, not that futuristic. Um, it feels like it, <laughs> nobody's on, uh, nobody's in a hover car. Nobody's right. firing a laser gun. This, this right. is not a space opera uh, version of the yes. United States. No, thank this goodness. <laughs> could be tomorrow as far as technology and mm. everything else goes. This is not set in the far flung future that we hope we don't get to. This is set in, it could be right now. And I mean, that would be very uncomfortable. And, but I, I, I you don't read it and go, Right. Oh, this could never happen. No, I think that's true. I mean, I and I agree with you. I like this one actually quite a bit more than I thought I would. Um, I liked Layla. I liked the pace of this book. Um, I a lot of gateways. I think I've talked about this. I know I've talked about this. Kind of get bogged down in that kind of interiority of teenage yep. angst. Yes. And this one actually, this book moves. It hasn't. It has interesting action. It has yes. interesting characters. I think for the most part, they're sympathetic characters. Yes. Now I will say, I did roll my eyes when I got to the acknowledgements where the first line is publishing internment was an act of courage and resistance because I think anyone that has to pat themselves on the back that hard might need That's- like a little bit of a reality check. Yes. Um, but, and and I don't know that it is. I mean, it's certainly an act of courage. Um, sure. And I don't, but I don't, I don't know what I mean. I, there's no reason to quibble that point except to say, I think that deserves a bit of an eye roll and a suggestion that you know it's a good book and it covers a topic that's important. Yes, absolutely. Islamophobia is real, we should be wary of it. There are powerful political groups who um, gain their power by playing to it. So, and we know that internment camps have happened before, so all of those things are true. Yes. But maybe just have the good taste not to say. <laughs> yeah. That, um, if it's a publisher's note. Right. That feels very different than yeah. an acknowledgement. Right. I assume the acknowledgements are always written by the author. Oh, yeah. It's, it's written by so, Samira because yeah. she goes on to like thank everybody that helped yes. her. So I'd like to thank you for my courageous effort. Yeah. It's a little um, bit of. Yeah. So anyway. Yeah. But it is a good book. And I don't, as people who listen to this know, I don't always love the gateways, but I thought this was a good pick and it was a good, on its own right, a, a good book. Yeah. Um, I want to point out a few things in it that I particularly liked as, yeah. as in that kind of realm of, we've talked about some gateways that, ooh, you didn't really handle this yes. beautifully or I wish yeah. something would have been different. Um, I like that it's not just Depress Fest 21. Yes. Yeah. Um, that she is still allowed to be, and all the, the teenage characters, I should say, are allowed to still be teenagers. Yeah. Um, yeah. It is not, <laughs> it is not book two of Twilight, like you said, where she's just interior and, oh, this is how bad I feel all the time. And this is right. terrible. This is terrible. She can still kind of joke with friends and make friends. And there is young love and there are, uh, moments of like, oh, my parents, like mm-hmm. that stuff still gets to be there in what I felt like was probably a realistic way. Mm-hmm. Um, just because you are put in a terrible situation doesn't mean that you're no longer a teenager or just because uh, your parents are with you in this thing doesn't mean that you agree with everything your parents right. say, even though it would probably make it a little bit easier for them <laughs> to get through this. Yeah if they could trust that their daughter was uh, keeping her head down and not potentially causing herself trouble. Uh, well, and it, just to speak to that point really quickly. I mean, I think that's what 
that is one of the things that makes this book feel realistic, you know, is that, and it did make me think of, and night is not pleasure and it's not fiction in the same way that this book is meant to be. Yes. I mean, it's not fiction at all. It's not meant to be read the same way as this book is what I was trying to say, but it has that same sense of like the details of being human in a situation where it would be easy to make everything a caricature. Yes. And that, I think this book does the same thing. No, I agree with that. Um, There was one other character. So there is, I don't want to spoil, I'm trying not to spoil the entire book, although I guess it ultimately doesn't matter a ton. You should read it. It's good. You're going to like it. And this won't ruin anything. Yeah. But there was a character that uh, is potentially someone who we should see and Layla should see as a bad guy Mm -hmm. because he's on the, he's like, he's a guard, I guess. And for lack of a better term, he's a guard. Right. Um, Throughout the book and from the beginning with the character. So this is not spoiling anything. uh, He is someone who treats her better than most of the other guards seem to treat people or the, the guards that are mentioned, right? The moments where the guards do things, stand out as negative as they would in a book like this. This is a guy who is being very helpful and maybe even sticking his neck out a little bit Mm -hmm. uh, to do so. And I read the entire book going, please don't fall in love. Please don't Mm -hmm. fall in love. Please don't fall Mm -hmm. in love. Please don't fall in love because Mm -hmm. you don't need that. That would have been, that would have been the easy, lazy, typical thing that happens in a book like this. So again, very minor spoiler, but I, I'm telling you, we're yeah. we're both talking about the fact that this book does not fall into a lot of those traps. Yes. These two characters do not fall in love. It is not that book. Right. There are different things that this book is trying to do. Yeah. And it's not look at how love can be found between the white guard and right. the Muslim uh, prisoner in a world where everything else falls apart. Like right. that is not what this is doing. And I was so thankful for that yeah, as I, I was agree. reading it. Uh, any other thought? I had one other thing, but did you have any other thoughts? Before? No, I just, you know, um, I, I had put this book off because not that I think, I think that probably politically, I probably fall fairly within the realm of what <laughs> Samira Ahmed, where she might fall. But um, so, but I put it off because I am wary of politically influenced books. They often feel overly message driven. And so I had put this one off and it is message driven. I mean, there's no doubt about that, but it is a much better book than I thought it was going to be, you know, so I enjoyed it. Yeah. Very cool. Uh, The last note that I want to make is that one of the dogwoods this year is they called us enemy by Mm. George Takei. Mm -hmm. That's about his experience in the Japanese internment camps during World War II. Uh, he's, he's spoken extensively about it. He does a lot of work uh, in kind of that realm of this is what happened to me. And so the kind of Asian American experience and, and being an activist for positivity uh, in that world. And so that book, he published a graphic novel a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. That's a dogwood this year. I think those would make a beautiful pairing Mm -hmm. for just for your own personal reading. uh, If you're trying to promote this with students or teachers looking for a nonfiction paired with a fiction, especially because the graphic novel means it's a shorter read. So pairing something like 
internment, which is a novel. It's 300 and something pages. It's going to take kids a little bit. Finding a shorter fiction to pair that with and having it be from our history, uh, I think we tend to always want to go, well, I'm reading internment. So where's like you mentioned night, like where's a Holocaust thing that kind of does the same. Right. And it's, well, how about another one from this country? How about another one from our own past? And it being a graphic novel uh, certainly makes it a quicker read. Right. I was, I really enjoyed thinking about those two together. I think I might've read them near each other when I was reading them. I think you did. Cause I think you tweeted about them together. I may have. Or I like feel, one yes. after the other. You yeah. Know? I feel like I probably did. I, I, this is nothing, if not a place for me to repeat myself <laughs> that I think are good ideas. Um, if you have thoughts on those books, or any of the other things that we've talked about, please do not hesitate to send us an email to librarymediachatter at gmail.com. Uh, and we will be happy to read it and probably talk about you for the rest of your life. On yeah, for extensively. You'll yes. show up in several episodes. Yeah. Uh, and with that, let's take our second commercial break and we'll come back to wrap things up. This episode of Library Media Chatter is brought to you by The Color Printer. The only option when your teacher sends you to print 67 identical brown squares to cut out and use as carpet in your interior design class. Color printer, did you really need to use me? Welcome back to Library Media Chatter. I don't know what to tell you. Uh, Now that the Carrie Lampy saga is behind us officially, (laughs) we've kind of run out of things to say in this final segment. So remember, read responsibly, use a bookmark.